Hello, and welcome back to the AIAC podcast. This is Africa as a Country's weekly destination for analysis of current events, culture, and sports on the African continent and its diaspora from the left. If you'll remember, our last episode was our first partnership with the popular South African podcast, Just Us Under a Tree, which is about law and politics. In that first episode, they analyzed and dissected South Africa's case against Israel at the ICJ. They spoke about the judgment and its implications for Israel's ongoing war against Gaza and the Palestinian people. Make sure you listen back to that one. It's obviously timely. It's a very difficult and painful moment to see what is unfolding. And so it's a useful intervention to helping us understand what might become of this. We hope it culminates in a ceasefire. It might not. And it might once again prove that the so-called rules-based international order is a fiction and a cudgel weaponized by the West to keep everyone else in line except themselves. Let's hope not. Do follow Just Us Under a Tree on Twitter. Make sure you subscribe to them and check out episodes that will come independently as well as through... Oh, gosh. Did you hear that motorcycle? How rude. As well as new episodes that will come on the Africa as a Country platform as part of our new syndication collaboration. It doesn't end there. We're partnering with more podcasts. And I'm happy to announce our new collaboration with the Nigerian Scam which focuses on how examining episodic iterations of audacious fraud in Nigerian history and contemporary politics intertwine with the ongoing struggle for African independence in the intricate web of global capitalism. In this first syndicated episode, the hosts Saeed Husseini, OAG, and Emeka Ugu consider the uses and abuses of centering the scam as a tool for understanding the failures of independence and the emergence of capitalism in Nigeria. I think it's probably the first philosophical slash conceptual treatment of scamming that I've come across. They develop a theory of the scam, you could say. And they ask questions such as, why did Nigeria come to be associated with a classic internet scam, aka Yahoo Yahoo, among other fraudulent activities? To what extent can the phenomenon of fraud in Nigeria be neatly separated from legitimate forms of capital accumulation, such as in the oil sector, the music industry, or Nollywood? Is Nigeria's case really unique, or is it more of a slight variation on the theme of the failures of petty bourgeois-led independence movements in Africa? Listen to the episode below, and make sure you subscribe to The Nigerian Scam wherever you listen to your podcasts on Apple, Spotify, heck, they probably can be in your Gmail if you ask them to, in your Yahoo. <laughs> All told, though, it's a great episode. No scams involved. You'll get your money's worth, and... Do enjoy. Okay, so I guess we should start more substantive conversation. It's a new year. There's a possibility that we're talking to some new audience members. I mean, at the risk of over-explaining the joke, because of course there's an element of satire when we talk about the Nigerian scam at all times, right? I think it would be good for us still to revisit the question of what we mean um, by the Nigerian scam. And I guess at this point in the discussion where we've had at least over 30 episodes, if I'm not mistaken, um, you know, spanning debates amongst ourselves, interviews, um, more historical explorations, we have developed some implicit um, ideas about 
scams, Nigeria, how Nigeria is implicated in scams or creates scams or gets scammed itself. Um, so yeah, I thought we'd just take this opportunity. I think we all thought that to think through those themes once again um, and maybe come up with some ideas for um, or some explanations, I guess, for how we have been using the term and how we intend to be using it in the episodes to come. Is that fair? Uh, yeah, it is, actually. It's like, you know, your whatever course you want to have in the university or you're starting, you have that 101. Mm. So maybe it's about time to put the 101 through so that everyone knows exactly or have a fair understanding of what we're talking about when we say the Nigerian scam. Yeah. You know, so it's like a coherent pointer to the scam and, and an explanation of what we mean when we say the Nigerian scam. You know. For sure. Yeah. And I mean, of course, it's not like we've never reflected on, you know, the name before. Uh, you know, we've, we've done a few episodes that like, um, in the past have tried to face our own identity head on, so to speak. Um, but I think that we have engineered the scam, so to speak, as kind of a, an open-ended idea. So it's one that we've built upon as time has gone on, gone on. So I think maybe it's time to reflect on um, what we now mean by it. Um, since the meaning might have shifted over time. Type of okay, thing. go from GST yeah. 101 to philosophy 101. Uh-huh. Political, political <laughs> science 101. Indeed. Or maybe 102. Is that a real course? Yeah, yeah GST 102, GST 101. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You don't take when some of us the uh, classroom. No, no, English, general studies, the other one, uh, yeah. philosophy yeah. and logic. Yeah, word, word. Yeah. Uh, some people were really paying attention in school. Um, <laughs> right. So, I mean, okay, to start at a kind of general angle, right, um, I think the big question would be how do we understand the Nigerian scam as we use the concept here? Because obviously the conventional uses of the concept are referred to, you know, advanced fee fraud, those kinds of poorly worded emails to European grandmothers, etc., um, but then, of course, we're using it in a slightly more idiosyncratic way. So what are some specific aspects of Nigeria's historical trajectory or contemporary politics that we feel can, better, can be better understood through the lens of the scam? When we say something is a scam, you know, um, the thing is fraudulent. Mm. It's, um, you're going into it with one thought in mind and you're getting materially something else right. at the end of the day, you know. So when we say the Nigerian scam, we have to go back to the foundations of the country and what is Nigeria and it's coming together, which, you know, led to independence. And if we say the independence, what's the promise of the independence of the independence of the country? What were the stated out promises, you know, of a, of a newly forged country or a state or a nation was like progress for everybody, unity, harmony, economic development, all that for the people. But at the end of the day, what are we 
currently what have we what did we and what are we currently getting in return for that independence you know it's nothing for the common masses you know the common people it's nothing it's impoverishment i wouldn't even say it's nothing we're actually getting something but it's impoverishment it's backwardness it's disunity it's um immiseration for the masses of the people it's oppression you know so then the common man will sit back and reflect after 60 something years of this independence and the promise of it and what it promised to give are these the things that we set out to achieve mm. and then the, the answer is unequivocally no and that's the scam right there the, the crux of the scam yeah. however with our analysis we go ahead and say this scam isn't just something born out of an idea or something it has material you know um causes mm -hmm. and sources and it can be pointed out that at the point of independence the class antagonisms the people that ushered in this independence are essentially the enemies of the people right. they can band together or they did band together as nationalists mm -hmm. to collect or receive and be at the arms of affairs from the colonial guys but they are also putting in place or retaining or modifying to suit themselves the principles, the ways of arranging society, the economics, the politics, the culture of oppression and economic antagonisms, political antagonisms, yeah. and creating more like a fiefdom for themselves to suppress the people. Now, with a more potent power, which is the state okay. power, you know, so this has culminated into that independent that scam, that scam that we call the independence. Right. So in this case, it's the Ni it's Nigeria, and then it's the Nigerian scam, which has led to the impoverishment and you mm. know, downward spiral of the country over time. So if I can summarize, Nigeria has been scammed, and how that scam emerged is in the course of independence. So there was some sort of bait and switch between. Uh, promise and outcome um, and always you, you you would locate that in the kind of the, the identity or character of the class of elites that took power yeah and the ideas you know right they're moving with and what they're materially doing of course these bits and pieces would have come together but it culminated and got to the high point during independence and when this class got state power. okay we'll definitely pick that apart a little a little bit more but I'm curious about what Mega thinks. I mean, so for you, Mega, do you feel like the, the appropriateness or otherwise of the name has something to do with independence or would you locate it somewhere else in the story of the Nigeria that we have today? Um, my own take, uh, you know, a bit, maybe just a bit alternate is that um, I, I wouldn't say that Nigeria has been scammed. I'd say that Nigeria itself is a scam. Okay. Um, Going back, yeah, go, yeah, going back to its its foundational design, and to say that will mean that I'd locate you know, the early trappings of of this camp in in its formative years. Mm. So that's a way of saying that it it basically starts in the lead up to independence. So you can place it anywhere, you know, between. Maybe with amalgamation and um, you know 
the First World War, most especially maybe the Second World War, okay. when um, that design, you know, was erected. Uh, yeah, so that's probably why in one of our episodes where we did deal with marketing, but we, we try and flesh it out first. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> to say that would mean, you know, there's a way to expatiate would, would be to say that um, the way Nigeria was designed, you know, from the 1940s um, was such that the, the structure of it was meant to fleece the people, you mm. know, you know, at that time were essentially peasant farmers and the working class, you know, for the betterment of a small elite, you know. So I'd say that that's, that's therein lies why, you know, Nigeria is a scam. You know, Nigeria was designed for a small group of people who would, um, in time, take over power from the colonialists yeah. and then perpetuate that, you know, structure of, of, um, mm. of fraud, you know. Um, the second thing to say is that essentially that design itself um, also borrows is what is what the more popular Nigerians come when you talk about you know Nigerian prints, emails, letters, you know, right? Four four one nine. It's from this design itself that it borrows, you know. So it takes its own leaf from. From that design. So there's a way in, in which whether you're talking about Nigeria as a scam or the phenomenon that developed as a result of um, Nigerians trying to get um, some Nigerians, essentially young, younger ones who mm. eventually went to study in the West, tried to, to, to um, give birth to the more popular um, scam that Nigeria is associated with in yeah. in, in contemporary times. So it's, it's it's a bit of like a Siamese twin relationship. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. So yeah, and on this podcast, maybe we're going to be the um, the Ben Carsons that split the two <laughs> twins apart. <laughs> Although hopefully the Siamese twins. Yeah, hopefully that hands. Yeah. And they had the gifted hands mm. that split the twins. Although, actually, as a side note, I, um, <coughs> I don't think the twins did so well after the surgery, which most people don't really yeah. think about. Oh, um, yeah? Yeah, man. I I, <laughs> I don't want us to get stuck into that, but you should look up um, yeah, how that developed. Next time any African parent tries to recommend that book, to you, you should you should recommend to them right there. We've reached out for that <laughs> that that they <laughs> that they that they actually go and check out how that's how the um the folks did uh, after the fact. And I, I suppose it might not be a laughing matter per se, but um no, but you, yeah, you might, you might also want to go and check out what what what. Um, ben Carson himself, what became of the market? No, sure, sure, sure. <laughs> I mean, no, but some people, you know, politics. some oh. people would consider that trajectory a success still, you know, so, oh, but, but, but then there's no, yeah, but then, yeah, the extent to which his hands were gifted in the first place is, is what, um, what might be fun to question. But yeah, anyway, let, let's not get too stuck on the Ben Carson issue. I think you've raised a very interesting point in my head, which is that, 
or you know building our OHS set down. In fact, there might be um, some very intimate connections between this more philosophical, let's say, idea of the Nigerian scam or more historical idea of the Nigerian scam that we are proposing and the more conventional uses of the term. In fact, maybe they interact in some way that's not very obvious to most people. And, you know, it's a point I want us to come back to in this episode, right? Because um, I think for a lot of people, there's a very clear distinction between the scam as a kind of illegal and fraudulent activity and the just day-to-day business of go- governance and um, politics in the post-colonial state, which isn't always fraudulent in a conventional view, um, but based on what you folks are saying, um, might be even more profoundly um, deceptive. So um let's let's focus though on that on that side of the coin for a moment um you know the emergence of independence and the way in which it promised more than it delivered you know that story of course takes a particular trajectory in nigeria but it's not um specific to nigeria right or i mean it's not only in nigeria that the independence movement was hijacked by elites or um you know was pulled in a different ideological sort of direction than a lot of its um popular adherents would have desired so what is what is peculiar about nigeria i mean to pose this one maybe to oeg isn't it always the fact that the independence movement in africa much of the world was hijacked by elites and you know even where those elites or you know what um class analysts might call the petit bourgeoisie even when they were more radical in their inclination wasn't it somewhat inevitable that um seeking for power within the ambit of the colonially drawn borders um you know pursuing a nation state that had been designed for extraction would inevitably empower the class that had been trained to carry on the ambitions of the state rather than push it in a different direction if you see what i mean so it's kind of like is it is is the scam nigerian in that way or in fact is the scam maybe something Mm. more global well all these things are nested in the character of the class that got power Mm -hmm. and the um nature of colonialism itself, the awareness of global imperialism and the conditions at which or of which that, that independence was, you know, was gotten. So if you have an elite that's just nationalist by just name yeah. and wanting to receive power and not transform anything, then they're just going to naturally give into that inclination that's their natural petty bourgeois inclinations of continuing exploitation especially as they have already been part of the building blocks of you know um, imperialism and colonialism anyway because the colonialists didn't just work by themselves alone mm-hmm. they had their own native agents you know most of the times and if we look at african societies or societies in africa there already has been classes where 
you know you have some elites that are aristocrats or landowners yeah. you know and then plugged into that colonial extraction for the metropoles these guys just seem like the natural partners of imperialism so in northern nigeria you see fulani worked well with the british for indirect rule yeah. you know these guys will see and assess the quality of the class you know that they can work with properly give their children some access to education and naturally get them to take over the reins of the new nation state right. you know but if you look at some countries where there's been armed brutal and bloody struggle for independence you'd see that there's a fundamental or there was fundamental differences between the elites and the colonialists and of course it's not always mm that you know it goes in the path of exploitation or or um you know radical radical transformation but what we have is fidelity what we need what was needed at that point in time was fidelity to the prince to revolutionary principles because if you got the nation states the nation borders drawn by colonialists yeah. you can always get power and change it but what happened was that one maybe consciousness of the people the elites and then force global imperialist forces because we can't overlook the assassinations of revolutionaries all around you know africa and all around the world yeah. you know but these colonialists have also learned from latin america other places that it pays them more to quickly hand over and do a peaceful transformation yeah. you know of, um, towards independence and most importantly leave the economic and political systems that they've hammered in place for hundreds of years so that once you give them power once you give the local elites power they just continue and make sure that resources are facilitated and transported to the metropoles and you right. know we have the husk of independence stuff like independence you have your currency you have your national anthem and whatever you know but you still continue what we left here yeah, so yeah, yeah. it's the quality of the elites yeah it's the quality of the elites and what they do after they've gotten power and we've seen sadly that most of them didn't lead to a radical or genuine transformation yeah. fundamental transformation of the you know nation states that they got right so nigeria's peculiarity some somehow maybe ties to the handshake nature of the independence we got that it was um yeah you see those iconic pictures of the queen shaking different yeah um, you know rulers or, yeah yeah. Um, yeah so 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 then yeah mega i mean do you to what extent do you agree with that like say, say for instance if we had seen a radical liberation movement emerge in nigeria and there was some attempt to spark one, at least by the Zikists, um, who we talk about in earlier episodes, but maybe you can even say a little bit more about them. Okay. I mean, if we had seen that kind of um, movement emerge, would that for you have abolished the scam or at least, you know, given us um, the possibility of a different sort of independence? Um, of course, it's hard to exactly peer into that alternative history per se, but I just want to get your take on the question of, um, you know, liberation versus, uh, you know, this kind of gentlemanly uh, <laughs> independence struggle. Um, do you, do, you know, is, is that as essential for you too in understanding why uh, the independence movement didn't lead per se to kind of genuine independence or economic redistribution or that kind of stuff? Yeah, I mean, it's, um, if you ask me, it's a difficult call to make, um, mm. especially when you look around, especially around Africa, 
maybe if, even if when you cast your your dragnet wide enough to to um, include you know parts of you know South Asia right. or Southern America, it's 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 rare that you know even when revolutionaries seized power you know in the course of armed struggle you know take over the nation states that or nation states that became that were then created mm-hmm. um it's difficult to see you know a tra- trajectory that um helps us you know put our foot down and insist that oh, okay we have been you know, or to reimagine, you know, some world, the, the world, you know, in which you know things would have been different. Because, I mean, yeah. generally, the globalist, the global capitalist, you know, um, framework was already entrenched, you know, by the 1940s. Right. Um, most of these guys then got independence in in the 19. At least for Africa, late fifties, early sixties, up to seventies. Um, and what we, what we find is that even if they went the revolutionary route, you know, it was only a matter of time before um, all of that then you know went topsy turvy. Mm. Um, so to answer that, you know, um, the, it, there might have been you know a world in which things would have been. Different, but it's difficult to insist that you know um, things would have been radically different. <laughs> yeah. You know, if 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 they had you know taken taken you know the reins of power at, right. at, at the dawn at the dawn of independence. Right. Okay. So I mean, so maybe I can even f- f- because I think there's an interesting distinction emerging in the way you both tackle this yeah. question, and of course having talked to you folks in a while for a while um it was a distinction i was already aware of but i, w- I want to deepen it a little bit so that it's obvious to folks who might not be picking up on the um the subtle and diplomatic nuances in the way you folks <laughs> uh, are responding to the question i mean so you know there's one school of thought that has it that um national liberation within the context of a global capitalist economy was always um, kind of doomed from the start, so to speak. I mean, maybe that puts it strongly, but in effect, it's very pessimistic about national liberation because the capitalist system had already tilted the balance of power in favor of the emergent petit bourgeoisie in all of these nation states. So... Um, the nationalist movement, which at the best of times was an alliance between a radical petit bourgeoisie and workers and popular forces, just shifted or, or, or put power too much in the hands of the petit bourgeoisie so that either the radicals would ultimately um, get too in love with the state that they took over um, and start to pursue a much less radical project, or if they remained loyal to the cause um, of revolution, they would eventually be bumped off by their brothers, cousins, f- comrades in arms, or fellow members of their class who who were enticed by the possibility of 
um, using the state for much less um, glorious <laughs> revolutionary um, means, right? So there's there's that perspective that has it that look the collaboration or the alliance with the petit bourgeoisie, um, either radical or otherwise, by workers and the popular masses was always going to lead to betrayal on the one hand. And I think America is slightly coming from that. It was bound to to capitulate. Right. And from that standpoint, Nigeria, the Nigerian scam is, is the scam of the national liberation struggle, you could say. You know, it just it has its own particular flavor. You know, it's colored green, white, green rather than white, green, white, or whatever. You know, whatever. It just you know. Well, green, green. Exactly. White. So, it's it's <laughs> it's a difference on the surface. You know, and but internally, if you look under the hood, um, it's more or less the same kind of thing. But then there's another perspective that has it, and I think OG is maybe coming from this standpoint a little more that like. We shouldn't throw the baby out with the bath bathwater, and um, it's possible for radicals to, to kind of, um, to use the Cabral term, commit class suicide, right? And in the midst of struggling for independence, even if it's within these colonially determined borders, even if um, it's to take over a colonially established state, they can still transition, um, you know, the petit bourgeoisie um, can still instigate a sort of transition from that colonial context towards something more um, radical, um, you know, from a colonial capitalist system to, you know, socialist or kind of situation. Does that characterize the distinction in perspectives here? correctly or are there aspects you would want to add to clarify where you're coming from yeah to a large extent it does and again one thing that i want us to be very cognizant about is that imperialism or global capitalism doesn't recede with its hands up and go away in peace after you've come to no it will never and it has never it's not in its character to do that you know Mm. fanon expresses that clearly you know, it will never, you know, so if you have all around Africa, if you look at the people that were making genuine efforts to transform their country, they met with a violent end mm. or their project was messed up from within. Right. That's taking advantage of the class, you know, differences that's already been established in those various countries, you know, so they will lean, imperialism will lean more to the people that might or have the ability to capitulate or give into that natural bourgeois inclinations. They arm them, you know, squeeze the economy, make things messed up and, you know, you either have an overthrow or like an assassination of these leaders, you know. So if you look through Africa, South Asia, Latin America, all that, you'll see examples of these things where we have evidences of imperialism trying hard and still trying mm-hmm. to mess up revolutionary projects all around the world, you know. So if they've receded and 
put your hands up like okay the radical people won let's see what you transform and just make it a test of ideas and material transformation yeah. let's see what you guys will do and you don't put blockades in for 60 years yeah. you don't put you know um, missiles facing us you don't use your economic strength to put nato all this type of bullshit you don't do it you don't just a, leave them assassinations alone. yeah you don't do assassinations they try to kill castro more than 600 times or no more than how many times a lot of times i can't remember yeah. but 60 something i can't remember anyway but it was an awful lot of right. times so i mean even once is problematic but <laughs> even once it's crazy, yeah. you know cabral is there for us to see i heard there's been as not to say this new guy in burkina faso is a sankar or whatever but there's been assassination attempts you know a bunch of times on the guys from what i've been seeing yeah. you know so these guys will never go like they'll never go and play the fair game and let's not forget that that class difference is already an advantage for the imperialists to use, you know. So I wouldn't like I, I don't want us to throw the, ba- the baby with the bathwater mm. because we can't say fully how these things will go. But that these um, national liberation struggles have gone the way they went further shows the strength of global imperialism and that mm. any revolutionary movement you want to put in place better be aware of that and and put something in place to guard itself against the internal betrayals that Cabral mentioned that also came back to hunt and kill him anyway. Right. You know, so that's it. And that's one thing yeah. I put out there. So Michael, what's your what's your issue with the baby? Why why are you throwing it out with the with the bath <laughs> with the bathwater? Um or to put it um a little clearer. Um yeah, I mean why why the pessimism? If if, as OG is saying, it's more about the forces that array against that kind of radical project. It's not about the radical project itself. Um, then, you know, shouldn't we be more open? Shouldn't you be more open to the possibility that a radical petit bourgeoisie can actually lead um, some struggle against capitalism in a formerly colonial context? Yeah, but like I said, it's 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 uh, it's not impossible. It's just difficult to imagine. You know, right. it's um, so if you if you look at you know um, the makeup of, of of the nation state or these nation states at the time of independence, the question you'd want to ask is what was the size of of the workforce? You know, apart from peasants, peasantry or, or farming yeah. at the time, you know, what was the size of the workforce? So how many people in terms of numbers did these revolutionaries or these radicals have behind them, you know, which links back to, you know, the question of class suicide. On, on what basis are people even inspired to commit, you know, that suicide, you know, right. for, for who and who understood what, you know, how many people understood the fight that they were pushing for um, at, at the time. You know, um, so if you go back and talk back to even in the Nigerian instance, the Ziki movement, yeah. how hard was it to even dislodge them in the first place? Um, and how, how much of, you know, the populace understood what game was at, at play? Right. You know, and, and to imagine this thing, you know, would have been to think about a world in which, you know, um, at the dawn of independence, African countries began to trade more with themselves. Mm. You know, and this was something that was already established in you know, maybe the 15th, 16th century. 
Um, yeah. Part of what it means by changing the structure of, 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 of the global or entrenching the global capitalist system, you know, was that by the 18th, 19th century, the direction of trade, you know, had changed and had been altered by, yeah. you know, um, the Atlantic. This, yeah, you know, so those those are some of the um, issues that you know make one a bit skeptical about, you know, um, how these things would have panned out, you know, yeah. if if it took if it took a different turn. So, like I said, it, it's not that it's impossible. It's just you know uh, the pessimism. You know, my pessimism stems from the fact that it's a, it's a bit difficult to see. I I. I... I think we can say overall that, you know, whether it was inevitable or it was just a product of various contingent circumstances, you know, the version of independence that we got in Nigeria and that I think was often the result, even after the fight, in a lot of African countries is one that deepened um, the kind of neocolonial and capitalist structure of the economy and, and state um, and the dominance of a particular kind of elite um, that was less likely to bring about revolutionary transformation um, of those societies. Uh, so I guess, you know, that, that would be one way in which um, we think about the scam, even if we might approach it from slightly different um philosophical perspectives is that fair to say yeah kind of summarizes it okay you know well okay well okay so i want to go back now to nigeria particularly because i think the story we've been telling while nigeria as i mentioned has a um particular version of it um you know we've been focusing on a trajectory that was quite common um you know, across Africa and the developed developing world. But, I mean, Nigeria at the end of the day, or, well, today, gets tagged more than most other developing or even African countries with this identity or character of fraud or the scam, right? Um, so, I mean, even after independence um, and the failure of independence has become very obvious to most people, there still is something very, it seems, specific about the Nigerian version that leads to some spectacular corruption cases regularly, um, you know, some seemingly fraudulent or clearly fraudulent, seemingly individual um, pursuits as well. So, I mean, what do you, what do you folks make of that? characterization or association that Nigeria seems to have earned or or been sort of tagged with over the last 60 years post-independence. Um, I mean, to add a dimension to that, there's a, some people, I mean, sometimes people even who respond to our podcast, you say, no, this is totally a, a, some kind of fabrication of um, Western media sensationalism and you know, in fact, by adopting a name like the Nigerian scam, we're perpetuating a unhelpful, overblown stereotype. And, you know, I think at the extreme, these are the kinds of people that will say, we are not scammers, we are entrepreneurs, you know, etc. 
Um, <laughs> and then on the other extreme, there are people who say, um, actually, fraudsters on the internet are doing some version of reparations. In fact, the resources that they are seizing from these grandmothers were first seized from Africa anyway, you know, through <laughs> the extraction of raw materials or slave trade or whatever, whatever historical crime they point to. So, I mean, do you, do we, do, do you have sympathy with either of those perspectives or do you feel like, you know, or I, you know, I mean, not to get stuck on, on that binary too much, I, I guess the more fundamental question is, yeah, what, what would you, to what would you trace the origin of the particular association Nigeria has developed with this scam thing, even beyond the question of independence. Oh, man. What I feel is there's an interaction between the ruling class and the so-called subordinate working class, the disenfranchised people. You know, there's a feedback, there's a back and forth arrow. You know, So when you have something mm. established as a scam of a country, and you have offshoots of it, contradictions of it showing showing up, popping up in different you know ways, which some of which we've you know broken down here. Things like the cement armada scam, mm. things like you know oil scam, things like subsidy, you know all that. So when you see all that, and you have an elite that has constantly used its power to steal from the people, perfected the art of fleecing you know, big contract scams and all. What do you think the working class and people that have been disenfranchised are not able to make, you know, like a decent living? What do you think they're going to do? They're going to do something within their own means, you know, in that pathway to make money. So call it whatever you want to call it. Right. The people are going to survive one way or the other, right. you know, so we'll hang that one, we'll put it there. Okay. You know, and then with the advancement of internet, telephony, all these kind of things, you see that, yeah, you have these cases reported. We have a huge population of close to 200 million people. You know, so what are you, what the things you keep getting and what you keep hearing on the media, even locally, is they at least trying to make the people look bad. Like, oh, yeah, this, that. But if there was something more of a self-reflection by the ruling class, they'd see that it's just a mirror of themselves, mm. you know, that... The people are just bouncing back, you know. Um, Yoruba people say, So the, the horse in front is what the one at the back looks to kind of make up this race right, or something, something like right, that. Right. It's, of course, it's much more deeper than that. But this shows that interaction, that back and forth interaction between the elites and the people. Sure. And what you give is what you get. Ultimately, then becomes a cycle of corruption in mani manifesting in different ways shapes and forms mm -hmm. you know so that will summarize it but you know on the moralistic aspects elite morality is different from working class morality and the standpoint of a man that is hungry and the one that is overblown and filled up to his tummy with money mm -hmm. and can still have billions they are both different you know worldviews so i'm going to leave it at right. that i'll let i'll let the big guys <laughs> It's not so much the question about where sympathies lay, you know, okay. um, and that, you know, I wouldn't begrudge, you know, essentially, perhaps maybe because I'd fall into that category, I wouldn't begrudge those who push the arguments for reparation. Um, okay. 
So sympathies do lies in one direction or the other. But uh, anyway, yeah, but no, no, no. The, <laughs> I'll let you finish. Yeah, it. but that's not yeah, that's not the important thing as you find out in a minute, you okay. know, um, because yeah, okay. it's sometimes yeah, it, it lacks a bit of context when people who push this argument for it. I mean, I haven't seen, you know, a real cut and dry argument for it. Yeah. But I think the one thing to add there is that Nigerians pre pre eminence, I think that's the word, or you know, the fact that you know we're most talked mm-hmm. about when it comes to these camps. And I'm, I'm saying, you know, the world over is is even though it's a bit exaggerated, yeah. is basically um because we 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 one thing that colonialism did to us as a people is that it, it taught us how to mimic you know, our overlords, and we 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 basically probably are one of the best when it comes to to, to doing to it to doing that. You know, so without you know doing a deep dive into it, one needs to go back and and trace the origin or observe different um, iterations of of what you call the Nigerians' camp to the mm. the conventional one. Yeah, you know? uh, and you'll find that these were middle class children who. Had access, you know, um, and went to the West to study. Right. You know, in the 40s, you know, predominantly, but you know, this history then dates back to maybe the 1920s. Mm. But predominantly in the 40s, these guys went to Europe, America, most especially, and then Great Britain to study. And because they had observed and you know saw the kinds of relationship, you know, the kind of lopsided relationship that their own nation states. That they were coming from and mm. the metropoles had you know what they just did was amplify what was already on ground so yeah. What's, yeah. what what's basically the yahoo format you know i get millions for nigeria then they fight war the money they tie down but if you give me say small money yeah a fraction of within they tied down for nigeria I'll be able to nationally I go nationally liberate them. Yeah, I will feed them, bring them, come on our side, then I will now give you maybe twenty yeah. percent of all your troubles. You know, I mean, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that sounds easily... that sounds pretty compelling. What's the account number? I can yeah, I can send it. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> so I mean, and at the heart of it is a bit of greed. You know, it's not yeah. even a bit of greed; it's, yeah. it's, it's greed, and that's greed, man. you know, and and that's basically what pushed. You know colonialism in the in the first place. So yeah. that mimicry, you know, is what we have then we've then perfected, or you know, a couple of our people have then uh, have then perfected. You mm. know, and like I said, this began with people who were at least even you know high middle class, higher middle class, or even maybe even members of the elite class. You know, in in the forties, so they went there. And then they they, they, they they sold the stories, you know, and, and then they got, you know, results, you know. You, you can go back and then mention people, even politicians, people who later became politicians, you know, who became even Senate presidents in this country, who are on record to have perpetrated these kinds of um, scam in, in, in the first place, you know. So, yeah, so, I mean, like, you would need to determine... What the origins of these things, you know, 
starts you know yeah in, or to, to to understand you how how these things have have then evolved but of course nigeria in terms of 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 of, of the way that you know capitalism then structured you know society became increasingly worse and i think this is what speaks to where oeg is coming from yeah. you know so that um the elite class then be, began you know to impoverish you know the working class and then as time went by, children of the working class who saw what the elites were doing began to aspire to become like the elites, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 technology then began to change, and so where you used to have um, post P and T, post and telegram, you know, in, in the forties or in the in the fifties, yeah. you then began to have Nitel somewhere in the seventies. Right, you right, 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 right all this um mtn so um, yeah. the tools like like they always say you know changed but the format remains you know essentially mm. what it is and that change you know that we that technology brought in terms of the tools that you know became available became widespread so yeah. every company you can hire even in the rural area can then perpetrate you know this camps you know and because of that craving to be like they are better us you yeah. know quote yeah. uh, you then began to have um, 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 a cohort of, of practitioners who became very loud and brash yeah. about this these things so, so I guess that perhaps that connotation of us being special or unique in terms of <laughs> come from the fact that you know where the Asian who is involved in some form of of, of um, fraudulent activity doesn't go about boasting and society doesn't quite pay that person too much mind in Nigeria you know it's reverse is the case and that's why you have all sorts of people you know um, that history uh, has told us are, are legends you know, you anti-heroes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Adi, ben, Adi Ben Bells of this world, the hush puppy. And arguably the president, uh, Bola Ahmed Tinubu, from some perspectives, but I, <laughs> we, can, we can park that to one side. That was FD. One insinuation one could draw from what you were saying, too, um, even though maybe not fairly, is that um, maybe one of the peculiarities of the Nigerian story, too, is the that we develop a certain kind of literary capacity over the course of our history. Um, so, you know, the letters then somehow have a certain flair or capacity to convince um, that other people might have lacked. And maybe this also ties with the Nobel Prizes or the um, for literature or the uh, very good novels that seem to have come out from Nigeria as well. But maybe I'm, I'm, I'm reading too much into that. Um, but <laughs> language also is a is a terrain of struggle, right? right. Cultural language, yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. No, I mean, yeah, I I'm I was saying it sort of tongue and cheekily, but maybe there's some aspect to it, of aspect of truth <clears throat> to it too, because you know it is a linguistically very diverse country, and um, one learns to code switch very early on in one's life. Um, as a Nigerian, you know, which gives you, I mean, I'm not necessarily displaying that here, but 
other Nigerians and OGN Emeka uh, clearly do so, gives you some level of um, verbal dexterity uh, that I think, um, you know, yeah, my, my, I'm not saying other people don't have it, but there's, a, again, a specific Nigerian texture to that. Um, and maybe that's been part of the story. It, it definitely has. Right? Yeah, I think yeah, so. Yeah, because, I mean, if you go back to, again, the literature of fraud in, in Nigeria, mm. you, you then begin to compartmentalize it. So you, you talk about the 1920s to the 40s, then you talk about around about 70s, you know, 80s, and then you talk about this last bit of iteration. Yeah. You know, um, a lot of people who, who observe the scam really don't know the history of the scam, you know, before the 70s and the 80s. So right, right. People who trace, you know, the advanced fee fraud um, phenomenon would usually start their own analysis around the seventies and the eighties. Yeah. No, part, part of the, the reason, first oil boom yeah. and its collapse. Yeah, yeah. Part of the reason why this is so is that, and they, and they don't account for it, you know, you um, by centering the Nigerian civil war. Yeah. Okay. Um, what had happened was that. By the Nigerian Civil War, there, there was a proliferation of, 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 of forgeries, you know, um, because the, that was a means of survival during the war. So yeah. Nigeria itself perfected the art of forging papers and letters, you know. So if you go yeah. and do a deep dive into what happened in Biafra, there was a question of to cross one frontier, you needed papers. And to get those papers, you needed to forge mm-hmm. the original. So, so that even in the law courts, and, and mm. a lot of the accounts for these things come from, even from a loyalty perspective, you know, from cases that yeah. were, um, some of the law cases, you know, that, that came up around that time. So the, the lines then blurred between what was actually a crime and what was survival. You know, was legitimate was, idea. Yeah. Legitimate. yeah. yeah. And, and, so, and, and so in order for us to forge those documents, and these are documents don't forget that the Civil War started just about a decade after independence. These were documents that people had to go and learn how they, the white man, the colonialists, who, who sure. started, you know, this. I mean, it was part of our learning curve as, as an independent nation, as a new nation. When it's going to forge those yes. kinds of documents, you know, so titles of land, you want yeah. to your friend, your your neighbor land, you could go forging document, changing name. So those we then we then legalese of it, you know, and, and we paid great attention to it, you know. So that's that's the origin of these letters, you know, as they as they, they yeah. became popularly known, you know, by the by the seventies and the eighties. Mm. You know. It's, it's it's of course yeah. over different iterations, people then perfected it. So you then went into love letter writing and all of that. But but basically at the heart of it is yes. what happened during <laughs> during the civil war yeah yeah nice no and that's a topic we'll definitely come back to because um we've covered paradigmatic examples of how that scam was perfected in nigerian history you know um including the cement armada scandal which we've done an episode on um uh or the question of the white zimbabwean farmers who were imported by nigerian state government which we've also done an episode on but the question of the letter writing, I think, is something that, I mean, you know, we it's sort of a low-hanging fruit, right? It's kind of sitting there, so we have to 
come back to that. And I think, yeah, you're right, that the Civil War, um, I, I didn't see that quite as clearly even before this conversation. Um, but that seems like it has to, it rings true, right? It seems like it has to be right that yeah. that process where internally there was a kind of uh, extensive market created for fake documents must have something to do with with this trajectory. I mean, I want to add an- another dimension um, to what's peculiar about Nigeria, because I think that across Africa and actually the, the world of fo- formerly colonized or at the time colonized countries, there was a sense of awareness that the colonial project was illegitimate, I think, by many of its uh, subjects, right? Because oftentimes colonization was achieved not through an actual battle um, in the field, but through some signed paperwork between elites, you know, under different flags, right? I mean, you know, particularly in the protectorates, uh, so-called, where indirect rule of some sort was established. And we have examples of this across Nigeria, not only in northern Nigeria, where it was formalized, but even in, in southern Nigeria, where, you know, um, uh, either pre-existing pre-colonial uh, entities like in the southwest were partially integrated into the governing system of the native authority kind of colonial governing system, or even in the southeast where even when chiefs did not exist, they were created, right? Um you know, in, in all these contexts, there was something of a fraudulent nature or a, you know, half legitimate, and pas- illegitimate, partially illegitimate yeah. Yeah, nature to which, in, in which the um, these contracts or these treaties or whatever were signed. So I think that's clear in Nigeria, but I, th- I think that probably was clear uh, across Africa. And I think that people did mimic or respond with their own versions of forgeries such that a stereotype about Africa and actually about colonized subjects across the world developed by colonial officials was like, oh, these people are untrustworthy. You know, a stereotype that they used to further justify their um, continued presence, right? So, I mean, I would say that that aspect might be um, universal to some extent. But then, you know, the Nigeria, the Nigeria-specific dimension of that I think, as you say, emerges during the Civil War, and I would say deepens with the arrival of oil, um, or the first oil boom in the 70s, really. Um, and then the fact that the oil boom then subsequently leads to a bust, and the sort of cycle of boom and bust that emerges after that. You know, because oil creates these instantaneous um, bursts of emergency, wealth. Emergency, yeah. You know? Yeah, emergency millionaires. Cement Armada. Exactly. You see, you see the timeline now, yeah. Exactly. You know, it, it creates emergency millionaires. Um, you know, and so it, it, it deepens this pre-existing perception that wealth is arbitrary and that it's not really about hard work or following the rules. It's about being at the right place at the right time and then being cunning, right, enough to have your name on the piece yeah. of paper rather than somebody else's name. So, I, yeah, I think that's that's an essential part of the story that we have touched on before in the Cement Armada episode, most notably, which we've called Scam Hall of Fame number one, episode one, rather. Um, but um, 
but yeah, I mean, and, and the second aspect of the boom and bust cycle, I think that that deepens that is that each boom creates a new kind of segment of society of contract contract pioneers, you know, who oh. are servicing the various aspects of the oil <clears throat> economy. But then with the bust, those people are out of work. Yeah. You know, so it's, you, it's like that cycle. Yeah. And then you now have, you know, a larger share of um, literate um, people who have a chip on their shoulder and who feel like they've been cheated by the economy and who want to revenge in some way, you know, built into the structure of the economy. Um, so I feel like that's probably played a role as well, right? Suddenly you've got these people who, um, you know, thought they were hard shit, right? Or thought they were this close <laughs> to getting their own turn. And then the music stops, yes. you know, and they don't have a chair to sit in. So, you know, I think that increases the likelihood that they're going to seek um, various pathways towards securing their position before the next boom arrives. So that's that's yeah. one dimension I would just throw into the already potent mix. Yeah, really, if you look at Badi um, Onimode's book, in that um, imperialism and underdevelopment in Nigeria. Mm. He describes the process of embourgeoisement, mm -hmm. you know, contracts, kickbacks, 10 percenters, you know, all these things. He explains it, you know, so you set up your company, collect contracts, you know, use political power to get it, especially with the advent of the, the oil boom and all that. So that mix just created like that literate, yeah. you know, uh, people with wearing suit and tie using biro to steal. Okay, that's <laughs> yeah. <it. laughs> so yeah, right. exactly. Nice. You, you, you know, you know, you know. I mean, I mean, to speak to what Said, you know, this 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 point that Said makes. Uh, I'm not really excited about the prospect of having one scam of whole scam hall of fame. You know, that's dedicated to the ITT scam. Yeah. You know, um, oh, okay. I, I think. Yeah, I think that you know, with with that conversation, we might be able to flesh out more some of the nuances. And it's it's ironic that you know it's it's, it's one that had to do with telecommunications, which Indeed. is basically an <laughs> in, instru instrument for perpetrating you know the more conventional scam. But I mean, I think that it's clear how you know one one led to the other and and and, you yeah. know, and how they all tie into each 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 other one way or, or the other you know because yeah. um, yeah. these kinds of scams that will become more custom to and the ones that we we have decided to focus on you know the, the, the spend armada the itt one yeah zimbabwe and farmers if you like the bet, the current yeah. beta, beta you scandal, you know. Oh yes. All this, <laughs> yes. The, the one, the one that Fela calls uh, authority stealing, you know. Authority stealing. <laughs> you know those those kinds of scam. You know how they were betted, you know, and how they sometime around. I mean, it's not like they didn't exist in the sixties, right? But you know, became more virulent in, in, in by the seventies and then and the eighties, yeah. you know, and uh, uh, yeah, and how connect them back to. You know the oil, the oil boom and bust. You know cycles yeah. that side sticks up. Yeah, mm. yeah, I know. One thing, um, yep. sorry, to just chipping. I'm sorry, sorry. One thing to just chipping, and it might be a call to our audience is that 
you can see some sort of material underpinnings mm-hmm. of the analysis that led to one thing. It didn't just happen or just jump into the scene like that. Mm-hmm. They're like material analysis of how these things happened, one leading to the other, and then with the um, marketing boards or with the oil boom that created all these things. Yeah. And then that's the analysis, that's the analysis, materialist analysis that gives you a coherent, you know, pathway or framework of analyzing society. So we don't just see things happening and thinking it just sprung out of right. you know, existence, uh, sprung into existence, you know. So that's a very important tool to analyze that we on the left used to understand the happenings around us you know mm-hmm. and so i to, to a large extent predict what might happen in the future mm-hmm. oh yeah there will certainly yeah. be more scams in nigeria for sure i mean there's um <laughs> there, we can we can predict that with some certainty no but that's a good point og is that um i mean why this is important is that it dismisses the um the, yeah the notion that it's something about the Nigerian spirit or, you know, something only or purely cultural or, you know, even spiritual. Um, yeah. Okay, maybe, maybe this. Nigeria is cursed. Nigeria is uh-huh. cursed. The people are, yeah, is cursed. Saying, are us alone. Yeah, 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 no, yeah. no, no, no. There's a material explanation to why all these things are occurring. By know. way of wrapping up, I wanted us to, to, for a moment, give some attention to the question of stereotypes and unhelpful associations etc you know of course i think we've nuanced our position quite a bit um you know but for those um who might still remain skeptical and say hey but look i mean why revisit this issue um isn't 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 that association already strong enough and isn't it already damaging enough i mean when we're seeing Nigerians excel in so many other courses of, of society, you know, in the arts, in music, in tech, um, you know, why not focus on Nigerian entrepreneurship? You know, why, 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 are, we, why are we here? So, I mean, is there any statement we have for those, for those people? Like, um, is, is, do you think that there's some aspect of the discussion about Nigeria and scamming that, does play some kind of role in the Western imaginary, you know, is, is this, do you buy the, the notion that somehow Nigeria has also been picked out to, to be sort of bearer of stereotypes, etc. I mean, I, I'm, I'm trying to be charitable and phrase it, uh, you know, my apologies if I'm slightly struggling and maybe betraying my own perspective <laughs> on it, but, but I'm curious so, how you respond to that notion that no, no, in fact, let us emphasize the entrepreneurial uh, nature and the achievements in culture and technology that we see rather than the scams i think that i mean if i if, if i if i'm allowed to take a quick stab at it i think that's you know a lot of that kind of um i, I mean while they're valid you know mm-hmm. in, in, and and raise some genuine concern a lot of that is steeped in in a lot of hypocrisy right yeah um so, so, when you, so if you talk about tech, for instance, uh, mm-hmm. you, you, you see the question you'd ask is um, when did tech become a thing, you know, in Nigeria? Um, and then you begin to try and see where, where it actually does start and where it begins to affect the Nigerian economy in any real sense. Mm. And that, that would be a very recent phenomenon. You know, even though there are people who yeah. play in, in that in that sector, say maybe in the eighties, you know, um, 
it yeah. began to kind of bubble up above the surface in, in the 90s, you yeah. know, mid 90s, and it's then a, actually became some, something in the late, in the, in the early 90s, right? It's, but, it's a post structural adjustment. Yeah, so, but, but the thing, the, the, yeah, but the thing is that the entry point into that sector, you know, across time from the 80s, 90s, was dependent on where you fell within, you know, the social ladder. You know, mm-hmm. what were your background, the families that you were born into. <laughs> and then if we go begin to look at the kids of people we venture into, <laughs> our, yeah. you know, when, when the entry level being big, a bit higher, you know, that kids of, you know, Elite or middle class, you know, right? If you, if you want to check them, you know, some of them are most of them were beneficiaries of the corrupt Nigerian state, you know, one yep. way or the other. Yeah, you know. now if, if you then come into arguments around entertainment, uh, whether it's Nollywood, whether it's the music industry, mm. my brother will go start that conversation, we might not finish it because, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of the money that bankrolls what has become a much more vibrant sector of the Nigerian economy and contributes at least a, a 1% to GDP. Uh, Nollywood and Afrobeat, sir. Yeah, and yeah, it's, it's one that has essentially been backrolled by corrupt money, whether it's yeah. the politicians. And with music industry, it's essentially the Yahoo Yahoo boys. Yes, Who the internet fraudsters point. have been yeah. for for angel yeah. investing, let's call it. Yeah, and I, yeah, and decided that they wanted to launder that money. That's beginning mm. to, we're beginning to see that increasingly happen within the tech space as well, even though it's a bit harsh, but, um, you, you, mm. so that's, there's, so, so my response to people who say, and these calm guys are, they're making things difficult for us, that say, we can check with ourselves first. Yes. I mean, which, I mean, you guys need to slow down and really think, yes. think these things through, you know. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I mean, the dynamics even in social life, <laughs> you know, it began to change, you know, because even if you if you took campuses, for instance, mm. there was a time when, you know, the real big boys on campus were the cultists. Mm-hmm. Today is not so much the issue it's it's more like internet fraud stars you know so that whole, yeah. now who gets you know in in where i come from you know southeastern part of nigeria the, the translation for that idea will be that um let me even say it now no oh yeah so you know the person who has um the palm front you know that the goods follow because that's that's where mm. food comes from you know um mm-hmm. <laughs> you know so so uh, uh, basically and, and you see it in familial life you know yeah. now the picking away home money now no matter whether not first or second or third nine parents, <laughs> nine parents no you know yeah so that's yeah. that that conversation in in within the social fabric of, of society is one that is more visible but less you know discussed yeah because i think my larger point is is to say that um the money dynamics with with this thing whether the money is coming from government contracts you know and your access to it or it's coming from outright internet fraud mm-hmm. is, is is one that has become you know society has elevated because it it, it, it ties back into the discourse of old money and new money yeah gives a fuck you know who your father is really um 
what's important to people is can you solve my immediate problem yeah you know, yeah, so, yeah. And so so you're, you're in some gatherings and they say ah this guy is an awolo or this guy is uh, a yaradua yaradua song and then right there one of these uh, uh boys i don't want to call names but you see uh let me not call any name he's seated there and amongst his peers they know this guy is controlling millions of dollars Right. And you see your father is your father is Femi 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 Fanny Kyle. Yeah. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, no, that's just a funny instance. Um, because I can picture it all too clearly almost like I was there. Um I mean the wider point you're making I think is well made that um in Nigeria as elsewhere, but maybe to a peculiar extent in Nigeria the line between um, legitimate sources of income um, and the illegitimate sources is a dotted line, if, if it's there at all. I mean, it might even be an imaginary line to some extent when we introduce the idea of pr- primitive accumulation, um, which you, which seems to be lurking, partially lurking behind what you're saying. I mean, Oji, do you want to also make a statement on this before I before I come in maybe try to wrap up yeah it's a bunch of all these things yeah. that you guys have mentioned you know especially with the nuance backgrounds that the maker has added and your own like chipping in one thing that I also want to point is that look everything that sensationalism again mm-hmm. at this point in time and th- throwing the lower class under the bus you know again you see the way things are reported about these elites is called financial malfeasance mm-hmm. and then misappropriation but when a poor man now this criminal they go down arrange something you know put things in front of them put have like placard carried you know <laughs> and you have these things being churned out and then the mass the elites put their chest behind it as if they're doing a good work of stamping or stomping down corruption right. in the country you know again what capitalism does makes sensation make money mm. so for clicks and dates general news and all it's the bad things if you sat a day on the news and just put your you know um remote on put your tv on you would think the whole world doesn't have any good thing to yeah. offer and you mentioned earlier in your um, input that we have a lot of people you know excelling in tech excelling in music afrobeats all that why is that why is that not the centerpiece of our identity in the world mm. You know, so I, I also want to add a bit of laziness into the people that whine about yeah. the Nigerian identity and not do their research about, you know, how these things unfold yeah. and what really is the picture of conditions on the ground. Yeah. You know, so that's it. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, that that makes sense. And I think ties in with a lot of what Emeka said, too. And I mean, I, I just um, what part of why I was laughing after Emeka's input is you know, just the realization that it might not be entirely coincidental that most of the tech sector in Nigeria is also just processing financial transactions, right? Which, um, <laughs> yeah, which, <laughs> which, which, yeah, yeah. Like one of the um, members of the reading group says, um, tech in Nigeria is just banking. Um, that pay, this pay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. Your pay, my pay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
<laughs> no, but okay. So, but then, you know, the, OEG, you're also being somewhat sympathetic to the view that there is a sensationalization of, you know, uh, fraud emanating from Nigeria that has happened. And I think, you know, we have to acknowledge that some of that has happened, right? That like, in a way, yeah. Nigeria has become a kind of cautionary tale, even amongst people who are um, convinced that the capitalist path of development is um, the best and only option. You know, Nigeria then serves as a foil because they're like, you know, look, this is a bad example of how you would go about doing capitalist development because these people are um, haven't managed to extricate themselves from, you know, the fraudulent sort of dark side of the capitalist economy and enter into the gentlemanly, um, you know, more refined um, side that's on the right side of the law, so to speak, right? So then... Um, I think Nigeria does play that kind of role and, you know, it also deepens a certain perception that um, Africans were not really well suited for uh, self-government or for playing the game of capitalist development, right? Um, But, yeah, I mean, I think that the kind of more historical perspective and um, the, the more nuanced take that actually questions that division between um, what is supposed to be legitimate accumulation and um, outright fraud is important. Um, A, for for pushing back against um, the naive view that we just have to try to be better capitalists, um, you know, and and B, for for kind of clarifying that, yeah, you know, the, the fraud aspect might be overstated or kind of built up to play a certain role in Western media imaginary, but there is some of it that happens, right? There's no escaping that. Um, And rather than escaping it, we will actually confront it head on in this conversation. In conversations like this, where we focus on a mix of the historical and contemporary, in conversations like we've had that we've even referenced um, of the Hall of Fame episodes where we'll focus more on the historical, you know, but also in interviews um, and, you know, various other formats where we hope to explore these issues, um, keeping an eye on questions of class, ideology, um, and history. So if that's your kettle of fish, then definitely check out stuff we've, we've done before and also stay tuned for more discussions of this sort to come in the future. Folks... Should we leave it there for now? No. Yeah, I think we, we we can, you know. And just to tell the people listening that this can will manifest in different forms and formats. So keep your eyes out, you know, and when <laughs> you see that scam on TV, be it from the lower class or the middle or upper class, just make a reference back to these discussions and see where right. it all plugs right. in, you know. So that's it. Nice. Um Mega, yeah, any, any last words from you as well? Yeah, uh, I mean, my own last word would be to, to, to the critics who say, oh, okay, uh, don't we think that we're um, refining this whole ni- concept of Nigerians as scam artists and, 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 and whatnot. Right. 
I'd say I, I think that what we're trying to do here, you know, using this medium is actually, I think we're trying to reformat, you know, the Nigerian scam itself. So mm. um, we're not refining nothing. These things exist, you know, as we all know. Right. And then, we, like Said says, we, we need to take them head on, you know, uh, and make sense of, of it. And that's exactly what we're looking to do here. Excellent. Well, yeah, keep an eye out for future episodes and um, check your spam box regularly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you gotta be spam, yeah. spam box or spam box. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, nice one. Awesome. All right, man. Yeah.